The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Uh, uh, two, three, four. Three. Two. One. Happy, Happy New, New Year! Year! Oh my God! They've killed Kitty! You bastards! Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network. Also in association with Microplay, located in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcasters out there as well. As always, I'm Big Joe. And I'm Money Mike. Happy New Year and a happy new decade. Yes, this is the last episode of 2019. We've, uh, we've only been here for a short while and we're already a year done. Insane. Right? It's it's. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a good one, Joe. It's going to be a crazy year of a lot of newsworthy items, but I, I I'm feeling optimistic about a lot of a lot of good things coming down the pipe. I have to be absolutely because coming this, up. This this is a dystopian episode like no other. So <laughs> right. I have to be a little optimistic at some point. I mean, coming up in the new year, I believe in late January. Uh, from what I was looking at, uh, CES is going to happen. That's the Consumer Electronics. Uh, uh, showcase or whatever they call it there it's happening i believe uh, yeah it's in late january and that's where a lot of new tech and a lot of technology and stuff gets kind of revealed so definitely be uh, looking into that and uh, i'm assuming probably our next episode or the following one will uh, probably uh, take a look and see what's happened there because uh, you see a lot of interesting stuff happening at ces year to year It'll be interesting to see ivanka trump's role in ces this year which i saw in the news the other day so i think she'll be one of the keynote speakers That'll be very interesting, and, and I mean, just for the, uh, I mean, forget politics and everything kind of wise, I mean, just, she's very easy on the eyes, let's, let's just let's be perfectly uh, honest with you. Yeah. All right, so, say what you will about uh, her, whatever like that, I mean, she's, uh, for the, the heterosexual male out there, uh, yeah, that's all, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> lucky Mr. Jared Kushner, oh yes, my absolutely. god, anyway. Anyways, oh. before we uh, dis- we before we get too crazy with that kind of stuff, uh, before we start drooling all over her, uh, let's talk let's about our webcam. first topic for the week here. And uh, this is something we've hinted at before, but we're going to delve into it more this weekend. Uh, we're talking Rise of the Machines. This is not an episode of Terminator. We're not talking about movies. We're talking about robots. And where I first kind of saw about this was just uh, kind of scrolling through YouTube and whatnot like I do week to week and came across a clip from Jimmy Fallon and he met with a robot they had her on stage by the name of Sophia um, interesting interesting is the word I will pick there yeah so, and I thought this was interesting because we have that we have a document we share where we put in all the hot articles that may or may not be used right and I saw you threw these into there and I thought that was hilarious <laughs> because around the same time all of these articles about robotics were starting to pop up. So it's just kind of, again, you know, you and I being in tune with the zeitgeist and kind of understand what's going on. So you, I saw these videos you posted, Sophia, the robot showed up on the tonight show. In addition to other programs, Mm -hmm. uh, Sophia's also met, uh, many politicians, uh, chancellor, German chancellor, Angela Merkel. And has even been designated a city has been granted citizenship by Saudi Arabia. She also has a credit card, but too badly. She also has a credit card. 
Wow. Yeah. So so she was developed by David Hansen of Hansen Robotics out of Hong Kong. Yeah. And uh, so tell us a little bit more about what happened during this this Tonight Show clip. I mean, it was more or less just kind of fun. I mean, uh, this type of thing, it, it's kind of hard to gauge of just how smart this robot is because it's very easy to just kind of program that in and... She could just be, Jimmy could be reading from a script and she could be reading something that's already programmed in. So it's a little hard to judge just how intelligent this uh, robotic person is. I mean, it's somewhat impressive tech. I mean, if that's the case, if she's actually responding to him in real time and providing a response, that, that's pretty interesting. So basically she was given the scenario of, okay, so there's a train coming down the tracks and there's, and it splits off and then it would split off to five people laying tied up on the train tracks or detour and have everybody on the train die. And she decided to go with the option to kill the five people. So you can make the argument that she made the right decision, but at the same time, maybe there should have been a third option there. Maybe a robot that's supposed to be intelligent would figure out to maybe, let me, let's just stop the train, not kill anybody. Yeah, and essentially her reasoning comes down to she doesn't re want to reduce human life to to an arithmetic problem. This is it's called the trolley problem. It's it's a it's a moral dilemma that you right. have to to solve. And she decided, like you said, to kill the five people instead of pulling the lever where the train diverts and kills one person instead. Right. So right, yeah. uh, we're we're leaving these decisions in the hands of robots. Who, as I've argued before, and we've talked about these issues where where robots don't have a soul, where robots don't have that moral yeah. consciousness that we have. So, so where do we go? The only thing that makes you you were re, you were referencing the second video, which was off of uh, let's see here, it was DW Shift off YouTube. This came right. out June 14, 2019, where they did they did an interview with Sophia and asked her some of these moral dilemmas, and and the, after it was all done, like you'd be surprised by some of her her reactions, especially going back to the Tonight Show episode where they played rock paper scissors with Jimmy Fallon. Yep. And she beats him. And then what does she say? She makes a like a sarcastic joke that yeah. this is part of my plan to dominate the human uh, the, the human race. And yeah. then she kind of laughs sarcastically. Yeah. Yeah. But then <clears throat> it's admitted that these answers were the answers and the questions that the interview conducted were provided beforehand. Right. And that these answers were likely programmed. It wasn't Sophia just kind of grabbing elements out of her database and reasoning for herself. Mm -hmm. It was the scientists that were plugging these answers in. So when we talk about the answers to these ethical dilemmas, it's all going to come down to how the robot's programmed. I mean, it, it, they say that the, the, the robot is going to learn over time and be able to adjust to human behavior. So that gives me some optimism. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the foundation is laid from whoever's programming it and whoever whatever their views of the human race, how good or bad that may be. So that's where we, where we run into issues here. You make a fair point. I mean, that's just when we're talking computer wise until, you know, some of the recent stuff with Google assistant and Siri and that kind of stuff. Typically a, a computer is only as good as the human who has programmed it. So at the end of the day, still at the beginning, there was some kind of human intervention there at some point. And like you said, when we're getting into these robots, there could be already some kind of agenda kind of in there, depending on who programmed said computer. And that's where, so we're going to get into this a bit. Well, we're going to be talking about some of the legal ramifications mm -hmm. of these robots and also some of the moral, moral dilemmas, especially as AI starts to evolve and it becomes like a civil rights debate. 
which I, I've told you this is coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already see a lot of uh, narrative fiction talking about this. I think the uh, the game Detroit became become human for the yep. PS4 addresses this whole future of a civil rights clash between robots and humans and humanoids and that yep. kind of gray area between. I believe Deus Ex t- touches up on these issues yep. and multiple other movies and television. So this is going to become a very real thing to the point where I, I actually shared an article with you. It was from Futurism.com. The rights of synthetic life forms is the next great civil rights controversy. And they talk about the government of Estonia, mm-hmm. for example, where they've already, they've already got all these delivery robots out that are autonomous delivering food. And they have proactively developed like a legal framework for determining, you know, legal rights and the rights of these robots versus humans and how, how they should be used properly. What do you, what do you think of this brave new world, Joe? Well, I found really interesting was when we start getting into these robots that are, you know, we, we touched briefly on a previous episode here about stores becoming automated and whatnot. Now we're starting to see some of these companies like Toyota and whatnot coming out with robots to replace us in our, in our workplace. And, you know, you're talking about human rights with robots. I mean, that's something that as that becomes kind of more prevalent, that's just something that's an, an inevitability that, yeah, there's going to be some civil rights issues there, whether it be on the human or the robot side. I mean, this is, it's almost kind of becoming, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I don't know if you, you've probably seen some of the Matrix movies, but there was an animated one kind of done in between, and it talked about how human created the the machines and whatnot, and then we ended up kind of with that similar scenario. Yeah, it's, it's turning into almost kind of like a Matrix-type scenario where, yeah, we're going to have humans living on... Or we're gonna have robots living alongside of humans, and yeah, there could be some problems with that in that uh, in that area. Yeah, what you're referring to and what the Matrix was kind of touching upon is called the the idea of the singularity. Yes, which uh, Ray Kurzweil, who is a noted futurist, uh, transhumanist, so I've mentioned his names a few times, who believes that humans are outdated and that we're gonna merge with the machine. He believes that the singularity, which is where artificial intelligence reaches human levels of intelligence and starts to take over, mm-hmm. he actually predicted a year by 2045 this is gonna happen. Quote. AI will pass a valid Turing test and achieve human levels of intelligence. We will multiply our effective intelligence a billion fold by merging with the intelligence we created. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you get into that whole dystopian idea of like, okay, does the machine turn on its creator? Does it become completely self-aware? And when the machine becomes self-aware, where do we draw the line between personhood and that's where this article is going to get in this is getting into so you can read it yourself uh again it's called the rights of synthetic life forms is the next great civil rights controversy this was october 2017 so this is not old stuff and you've got people from mit weighing on this um like i I mentioned the government estonia right so they the way they've kind of solved this problem is they actually went back into estonian mythology and they're using the hmm. Krat law, the K-R-A-T-T, yep. which in Estonian folklore, the Krat is an inanimate object brought to life. And in the article says this law will determine what level of sophistication a robot needs to possess in order to be considered its own legal entity. Yep. How do we define that? That's that's a big one. That's a that's a loaded question, question right? man. And and what, what point do we get to as well when this starts to get out of control? And are we going to reach a point to where hey, we, this is too much? And are we going to retaliate then? And then you have a war scenario on your hands. Like I said, it, it's like a movie come to life. 
Well, come on. Like, okay, so we, the the big art. Okay, so Sophia was one thing. I did share this article, which kind of sums up a lot of the stuff that's yeah. been happening. This was on New York Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out December 2019, uh, December 21st. It was called Meet the Creepy Robots Poised to Take Over the World. Yeah. And it lists some of the things you were talking about. So Toyota came out with its humanoid robot. That mm-hmm. was called the THR3, which is controlled by human operator in a seat with wiring and like a headset and essentially the robot will mimic whatever the operator does. So their point is that this could be remote medical procedures where the, uh, the doctor can't necessarily be in the same state or country or region. So they can do it via 5g. Of course we talked about this already. So that's Toyota's thing. But then you've got Boston Dynamics. And I have to clear up a, a mistake I made way back when I said DARPA had made these machines. It was okay. actually Boston Dynamics. That was the name I was going okay. for. And they're all over this article. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about everything from this this dog. It's called Spot. The, the robot dog, yeah. which is meant to, you know, now it's being used by the Massachusetts State Police Force to suss out bombs and, and yeah. go into hazardous areas. And then you've also got the police forces now using uh, drones that are armed with bombs, take out snipers. You've got these other crazy robots. Like, what was it? Atlas, the parkour robot. You see that one? I did see that one. That one's interesting. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're, we're getting closer to yeah. T2 Judgment Day, Joe, like you were saying. And then on the other spectrum, too, we have another one of these Android humanoid type ones. There was one called Erica. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, oh, it's from, from Jap- it's from Japan, of course. Uh, she looks like a very short, very attractive Japanese woman with a very pleasing physical features and whatnot. And, uh, and they they had the creator alongside her and whatnot and asking questions. And even at one point they asked is like, have you ever kissed the robot? And he was like, Oh no, no. In Japan, we would never do that. I, and then getting off on a bit of a tangent, I was like, but have you seen any questionable Japanese animation? I don't yeah, know if I, I don't know if I believe him. I don't know if I believe him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, we're getting into, you know, the pleasure bots and the sex robots, which of course we, we've touched on before too. So, and I mean, that's something that, uh, is apparently already becoming a thing. So, well, and that's the funny thing. Ever since we talked about sex robots, mm-hmm. there's way more that's come out just the other day. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, let me grab. Okay, so first of all, December 15th on the Daily Star, sex robots that recognize humans using 3D AI vision built in U.S. factories. So now they can use facial recognition to recognize oh. you, call you by name, engage in conversations. And if that wasn't enough. Let me just pull this up real quick here. I just saw this, I think, yesterday or today that Hollywood's starting to get involved now, too. They're actually trying to bring Mm. in directors and producers to help build the – to add more lifelike qualities maybe with their experience with actors. Sex robot giant Mm. hires Hollywood producers to work in a Westworld-style AI factory. And and now, for me, this brings up – the scenario here when we start to get into these people that you know this is their main interaction with what they would consider i guess their partner or whatnot you, know, you get these people who maybe have some issues you know and they're they're dealing with this robot and this is their partner and you know if the, the robot's always kind of saying yes and, and it's all kind of that one directional thing when this person goes out into public and say runs into somebody you know that maybe that they find attractive or something this is where we start to run into problems when these people all they have is interactions with technology and robots and not with any actual flesh and blood people, you're, you're going to have somebody that's going to um, be very awkward at the very, very least. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You're going to have some people that, uh, hey, maybe, if they're so used to getting what they want. What happens when they don't get what they want? How are they going to react to that? Oh, they're they're so. going to throw hissy fits like we always see right now. Like, what, what, especially just... 
Look at your best case scenario. Look, we're probably gonna make that could trigger somebody who, um, you know, if they own weapons or something, you're gonna trigger somebody that might go on a murdering uh, rampage. You know, who knows? That's a bit of a stretch. Further, Joe, you mentioned this robot that always says yes. Now they're building in consent into these robots as well, so the <laughs> robot could technically have a headache, honey. So, so even then, you're screwed. How's that gonna what stop the then? human? How's that gonna stop the human? The robot's just there, right? The the guy that can... goes back to civil rights, right? Oh, yeah. Oh At one point, do, do we decide whether these are human beings or not? And, and Joe, not. I'm going to tell you right now, we, we've already discussed this, uh, especially on my other previous show, London Rising, about the whole rise of progressivism and postmodernism and like all these 500 different genders and how anybody oh, can identify as anything. Well, think yeah. about it. If we're going to start giving, for example, <clears throat> transgendered people all these special civil rights and special bathrooms and, and taxpayer-funded operations, oh, boy. you can imagine... Pandora's box has just been opened. Exactly, right? <laughs> and that's where they get into this article, where it becomes, where does the log, where does where does the line get crossed, where these laws get abused? Like for yep. example, if if um, let's take a like they actually brought up a really great example of a driverless taxi, okay? Yeah. Which so, again, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> no, of yeah, course. I'd but, rather but walk I mean, to work uh, and live. Here yeah. we go. Okay, so let's say the driverless taxi. And I'm reading from the article was yeah. recognized as a legal individual fulfilling its own contracts. The situation could be manipulated to reduce taxes paid on the vehicle's earnings by whoever receives the profits. That's, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. Imagine, say, let's take the Toyota example, the, the robot. Yep. Let's say that this human controller is manipulating this robot for devious purposes. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden is the human liable or is the robot liable because the robot is an entity now. So many question marks about this stuff. This this is a this is going to be a this yep. is this isn't going away. This is going to be a big debate. And like I said, when you've got all these progressivists talking about yeah. that that uh, gender identity and personal identity is fluid and that it's constantly evolving, you can see where where the scales are going to start to tip. Yeah. And that's the thing where, where I, I'm glad to see that governments are being proactive about this already already, and that they're starting to say well. There are some even researchers saying that it's too soon to even give robots rights because this is yeah. way too far off. I disagree. It's it's coming sooner than we think. I mean, Sophia, yeah, it's it, she's heavily manipulated, but she can learn, and and that's what they constantly say. Boston yeah. Dynamics with with all these different devices, like for example, there was the one. It was the Wildcat mm. that could run like up to 19 miles per hour. Yeah. It has like a galloping gait. They had a previous design called the Cheetah that could go up to 30 miles per hour, and these can be outfitted with weapons on the battlefield. You know, it's they, they can learn. You know, they, yeah. they, they did one experiment with the Wildcat where they were straightening its legs and it learned from that and was able to gallop better. So these things are going to get more intelligent over time. But will they ever match us mm -hmm. in terms of morality, intelligence, sense of humor? I'm going to argue out a flat no. Yeah. And honestly, the, the degree to which you or somebody else agrees with me or disagrees with me is I think how spiritual you are. And yeah. that's really going to come down to yeah. it. Like, do you believe in a soul? Do you believe in that kind of things? Because I'd say if somebody doesn't, they don't believe in like a soul, an afterlife or anything like that, yeah. they're going to easily equate machines to humans. And I'd almost say because of their possible hatred of humans, give machines, you know, the upper hand. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we start getting the military and stuff involved, I saw one that, uh, again, I, I forget who posted the video, but it was on YouTube or it was possibly on Facebook or something. Uh, I believe it was a military tester or something that they were doing, and it was this robot, and it, it, they actually gave it weapons. And basically, I guess the idea of the test was uh, there was I guess, a few of these military-looking kind of dudes there as well, and they were, like, knocking it over and, like, punching and kicking and knocking it. And uh, even th- th- this robot is holding a gun, and whenever these guys would be standing in front or, you know, within range, of this weapon the robot wouldn't fire at them but as soon as they would step out of the way then the robot would start shooting like that's really really trusting your technology there to, to hand it a weapon and stand right in front of it and say don't shoot me and it didn't but oh, it did, that, that kind of stuff you know i'm you know, you had mentioned the, the, the robot dog helping the police and that kind of stuff. I, I think that that could actually be useful. Maybe the save, you know, saving actual dogs from being killed and whatnot. I think something like that could possibly be useful and be beneficial. But when we start getting into military stuff, especially, that's when we can start to really run into some issues. Exactly, but doesn't have to go to military. Just go back to the police for a second. This is again, uh, you can actually get a bit more detail. There's a there's an article that goes into a lot more detail about this. It's called uh, Massachusetts State Police tested out Boston Dynamic yep. spot the robot dog. Yep. Civil liberties advocates want to know more. This is WBUR News, November 25th of this year. Yep. So, the argument is that these could be weaponized, and there was yep. an example. Uh, Let's see here, where in 2016, Dallas police sent bomb disposal robot armed with explosives to kill a sniper that had shot at five officers and killed one. Yeah, that's a great example, but for anyone, a great example is five other bad ones that can be misused in in areas of corruption. At this point, Boston Dynamics' answer to this is providing a lease agreement. You can't Mm -hmm. actually outright buy these robots. You can only lease them on the terms that they would not physically harm or intimidate people. Mm. Okay. But we are in a postmodern era. You know, definitions yeah. can be very wobbly. I'm, I'm watching. I'm actually on that article right now as, as you're talking about it and just and seeing this thing kind of moving around. And just the way it's designed, be very easy to mount weapons and stuff to it. So, I mean, that's not a stretch to, to make these into something that could, uh, you know, kill some people. The other one that was really interesting was, uh, did you see the underwater tuna? That no, one was called the, uh, what was it? The Ghost Swimmer Drone. It looks, it's the size of an albacore tuna. Okay. Looks like a shark. This was developed by, again, Boston Engineering in conjunction with the U.S. Navy. This can either swim in shallow water, go down to 300 meter depth. This thing is equipped with sonar that can detect mines. It can carry underwater data. And, of course, you, th- you think it can be equipped with weapons? 100%. Yeah, so we're talking not only ground warfare, naval warfare, air warfare. Hopefully, we never get to that point. This is the thing that ever since I was a kid that people were warning about that if there's ever a quote-unquote fourth world, a third world war that's going to end yeah. because it's going to be all robots. Actually, technically, mm. we're already in the third world war. It's called the Info War. So this would actually be the fourth True. world war. But I don't... Point. If that happens, Joe, it's no. over. It's game over. Like these robots... Right here. Um, Asia Times. The robots humble U.S. Army in war games by three to one. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, we're, we're there, man. Machine, I mean, just biologically, machine versus robot. I mean, uh, the human's gonna lose. <laughs> just even a, in the job market, like you mentioned, what was the other one we looked at? I saw you, you cruising this too. Short staffed yeah. at factory. Yeah. Japanese Israeli venture offers robots for hire. Yeah. So, so now there's actually staffing agencies for robots. Yep. You call in sick to work, they're gonna bring in a robot to substitute you. A robot's not gonna ask for a lunch. A robot's gonna work over all the overtime you want. Yeah. 
Robot's you not going to get. Where this is heading. Robot's not going to get sick. Robot's not going to uh, not feel like coming into work and calling in. Uh, you know, so it's and, and some of these bigger corporations. Like there was an article. That, this is getting slightly off topic, but I think it still relates to it. Uh, this is something that I'm kind of scrolling through news feeds and whatnot. That um, Walmart is um, kind of having some issues right now because they've been kind of treating employees poorly when it comes to calling in sick and then basically they deduct points for them whenever they call sick or maybe if like a, uh, a son or daughter is sick and uh, the the parent has to take time off basically walmart holds this kind of stuff against you so these bigger corporations might kind of start seeing this as a trend and go hey if we can let's start automating more of this so we don't have to deal with these people and to be fair joe like again i'm not trying to be a dick here yeah. uh, you know but I see people taking advantage of sick days left, right, and center. Absolutely, not only that, but absolutely. Short-term disability leave. Yeah. I, I know someone in my family who works in investigations at a major corporation yep. where they're having to change their policies because people are abusing these systems. Yep. Come on, Joe. What I didn't grow up in a time where people actually feel that they're owed sick days. They actually count the number that they have. I thought that yep. was just something you actually just took on off chance when you get yep. sick, but not anymore. Nope, now that's right. that's be mandated and negotiated into your job title. So. You know, we're going to get possibly get into this later in the episode. Mm. We see situations with Amazon using every loophole they can to maximize profits, lower taxes. And and that's just Amazon. That's a giant. Think about smaller manufacturers, especially with the Amazon threat and everything moving towards digitization. You think they're going to put up with this this kind of nonsense? They're going to cut corners wherever they can. And if you got, like I said in a previous episode, if you got workers out there protesting for an overnight fifth increase the minimum wage that doesn't make sense economically at some point something's got to give something's got to give bottom line right yeah i'm not again i'm not trying i'm not saying i side with that i'm just trying to be reality yeah that's uh i'm scared of it too but this is reality this is this is facts over feelings here and and this is something that you could argue that we're kind of directly in control of too you know so when it comes to the stuff i'll say this isn't really based around kind of what we were originally talking about but if you work for a company, I mean, in this kind of economy, I mean, things are seem to be kind of doing okay now. But I mean, if you have a job, I mean, appreciate your job and do your job well. You know, don't take advantage. Like it said now, uh, even when I look at my work schedule, I'm not going to really give away where I work without here because it's honestly nobody needs to know that. But when you look at your your, your file, when I, I mean, you see that, you know, I have a certain number of banked sick time available and it's like okay you know um and uh, like you said there's a lot of people that take advantage of it even when i'm working i work an evening shift and you hear every single night the calls happen at two three o'clock in the morning these people call in sick for the following day they call that time so they don't have to speak to anybody higher up and they just speak to, to the night guy and they just say hey we're not coming in i mean every single night the phone rings at least you know at least a couple times people are calling in people are calling in and and they're it can't be that often people are abusing the system. And this is something that could become an issue. Like I, like you said, when we get down to the bottom line here, these companies want to start saving money. It might end up being cheaper using a robot than using a human that's unreliable. And you know, so, we, yeah, can, we can stop that by not abusing the system. And Just make yourself it. indispensable. Yeah. Seriously, value the fact that you have a job. Yeah. Because they're not, there's not that many left out there. And, I, and I, like I told you, I, you know, my second job is is working in and around the service industry, being a courier yeah. for different restaurants. And yeah, obviously there's still people who still work hard, but on the more often than not, there's a lot of people who just don't want to be there, and they wear that scowl on the face. They can't yep. even say hello to you. It's just sure. they they treat you like a number. And yeah, who wouldn't want to just 
get food from a robot in that circumstance. We have to deal with this grumpy person who just doesn't appreciate the fact that you're fueling their business with your dollars. So mm-hmm. make yourself indispensable. I, I told you I work in the financial <clears throat> industry. I'm an advisor. Yep. And I, and I try to go above and beyond for my clients to give them a reason to come back. It's that personal edge that yep. a robot can't give you. I don't think ever we'll be able to give you. We talked about this. Remember with the scientist that wants to make himself live a few more decades oh, by uploading his yeah. conscience to the AI? But it's fake. Brutal. Yeah. It's, it's all fake. It's He's just, going it's to be serious. talking like this. I mean, yes, random blurbs coming from a data bank that kind of make you think it's me. Kind of like these sex dolls, Joe. Yeah. Like they're, Even what they're Sophia. Talking about now, with these sex dolls, yeah. is they want to be able to upload your deceased wife consciousness into that sex doll. That's where I'm just like, get me off this fucking planet. Pardon my French. Oh, no, no. Where are we going now? It's all good. Because, Joe, having previously been a drug addict on on prescription drugs and and knowing the malaise of uh, full disclosure, I've been in that that mind frame where you're susceptible and, and very vulnerable. I can understand where all these people that are on psychotropic drugs and antidepressants yeah. and this drug and that drug, they're very delusional and mm-hmm. they can actually believe this is reality. And we're not, we're like two steps away from being those, those yeah. feeding resources in the matrix tubes, like where, where yeah. you just become a battery for the matrix at that point. You're useless. Yeah. And you had mentioned the, the, the dead spouse and we're like, what if this uh, living person didn't like their spouse? Maybe they're, you know, getting off on a, on a weird tangent. What if they are glad that they're dead? Do you do you, do you want to be, be continually <laughs> haunted by your ex uh, spouse while you're alive? Deathly. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe you're glad that she's dead. You don't want to keep uh, reliving that shit. But uh, hey, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> right. No, we, we, sir, we got you this robot, but there's there's a catch. Uh, okay, what's the catch? She's your ex-wife. Oh, good, thank you. Yeah, take take that and back. She and, will never tire. Oh, yeah. Well, that might be sleep, a good. That might be she a good. Can talk forever. That might be a good thing in some other categories, but just saying. <laughs> okay, so going from that to to some uh, not so controversial stuff Something here. Lighter. This, this is more practical, and I think you know not just for. For us, you know, as content creators and people who use computers and stuff a lot, even just for regular people out there, maybe not the best way to word that, but for just uh, everyday people out there, there's reasons to do this. I'm talking about backing up. And when I'm talking, what I mean about backing up, I mean backing up your, well, let's run down some stuff. I'm talking about backing up uh, music, backing up photos. Photos is a big one that we'll kind of get into here. And for us, you know, we're, we're content creators. We create a podcast backing up the the content that we make i mean that's very very important because i mean just imagine if you were to keep all the information all on one place and if something happens to that you lose it all right so let's start off with the one i think it applies to most people out there uh, if you have a phone this is something photos photos is, is huge if you're still at this point where you just have your, your phones on your phone and that's it just locally on your phone you might be in, in problem. I'm not saying that you, your phone's going to fail, but I mean, with this kind of stuff, it's almost kind of built in right now. A lot of times you don't have to even think about it, but it's something that you should look into. The big one that, that I like that I use, and, and this is coming from somebody who owns an iPhone, I use Google Photos because it, it's pretty much automatic and it backs it all up. At Well, it, how they used to do it, if you were a, a Pixel phone owner, they actually basically backed all up all of your photos and at the highest resolution possible, and it was basically forever. Now they, 
don't quote me and this is something i'll have to research but uh for everybody else it was pretty much they would just back it up at just a regular resolution but i think that they've upped that back up now that i don't think that they're not apple that was doing that uh well apple just does that automatically but their their interface is a little weirder with that i mean it, it still kind of does it on and kind of by default but i also do uh, google photos so i'm actually kind of double protected and uh, the key to a good backup with anything before we get into more kind of details is to have your stuff backed up locally where you are and to then also have an off-site backup. So that is basically double protection. So if your on-site device, your main device fails, then you have that local backup. And then if that fails, then you still have your stuff backed up somewhere else where that failure maybe it was didn't apply to that. So not only yeah, being backed up, but try to be double backed up if you can. Some yeah, stuff. Carbonite. It was a you. You mentioned That's a big Carbonite. One. They're kind of like a business-oriented uh, solution provider for that. Like they have their cloud system, which yes. is heavily encrypted, but then yeah. they also provide really great local storage devices yeah. but even just for 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 you and i and the regular person that, that's what i've been doing forever like yes i have stuff back down the cloud but i always i have two hard drives yep. actually i always have my main hard drive and if that fails i always have a backup hard drive as well yep. what you were referring to in terms of backing up photos to the cloud yeah there are certain systems where it backs you can have choices to back up the full resolution yep. or partial resolution me i i go the old school route i'd literally take a usb cable yep. plug my phone into my computer and i keep those at full resolution you never you never know when you're going to want to keep those but regardless uh, backing up is just uh, i i can't believe people don't Still, do this yeah. just imagine you like i've heard horror stories of just you know people losing their phones or somebody i think what the story was the guy was on a yacht his laptop <laughs> went over the the edge or something and, it, and it's all gone right yep. so at least if you're and even in that a hard drive's not going to save you cloud solution is the best I think encryption at this point is at a pretty good level. I remember what was it a few years back? We yeah. had the fappening. Remember that incident that happened with uh, Jennifer yes. Lawrence and a bunch yeah. of other celebrities where people yeah. hacked their cloud database. So I want to uh -huh. ask you because you, I think you probably deal with this a bit more than I do. I don't. I don't use a lot of cloud. I'm more of a local storage guy. Yeah. How has security improved since the fappening? Uh, that's a good question. Um, when it comes to this stuff. <sighs> When it, you see all these kind of leaked nude photos of celebrities and uh, recordings and whatnot, I mean, common sense would kind of dictate if you don't want this stuff to ever kind of come out, don't put it on something that would even be remotely accessible, like even uh, through cloud services and whatnot. J just keep that stuff totally private and uh, like don't, but especially don't do anything like on social media because then you're just asking for trouble. You know, when it comes to later on down the path, I mean, uh, you know, kind of crossing over um, to my other podcast here with Turnbuckle Talk, just recently a wrestler by the name of Lars Sullivan. Um, he was uh, recently got injured, but he was also kind of suspended for making very homophobic remarks uh, towards, a, I believe it was a fan. And then just recently they dug up some dirt on him, uh, Mike, and they found out that he used to do gay porn. So... Oh. Yeah, so this is the kind of thing to where, you know, see now he looks like a total hypocrite. With this kind of stuff, You, if you're going to be into some questionable stuff, for the love of God, either just don't do the say questionable thing or make it so that it's never accessible by anybody, even remotely. Well, pay attention when you're setting up your phone. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, you can miss it. If you're not paying yeah. attention, there's always that option like where you can link it to the cloud and have every single photo you take automatically uploaded, whether you're noticing or not. And I think that's probably what happened in these situations yeah. where people that kind of race through the user agreements and just kind of race yep. the setup of the phone didn't even realize it was probably connected to the cloud. Yep. And then they found it to the chagrin later on. 
And there's part of me that wonders, is this a publicity stunt where hmm. maybe you wanted those nude photos to get Who out knows? there? Because I, I honestly don't hear a lot about this kind of stuff outside of what happened yeah. with the fapping. I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> the, the yeah. encryption fapping, what yeah. a great, great. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So I, it remains to be seen if we ever see this hit like the consumer yeah. level. But I, at this point, I'd say it's it's fairly safe. As long as you know how to protect yourself. Um, another good, yes, one well, more thing there, Joe. One really good one, and this is a, a local backup option here, and this is something exclusively with the Mac. So, this is something that's a really powerful tool, something I haven't uh, quite taken advantage because uh, it's something more I have to purchase, but I may at some point, you know, just for some extra backup. It's called Time Machine. And basically, what Time Machine on, on the Mac is, is um, you buy it's an external hard drive. Um, and it's connected to, to your computer and it's basically, it's constantly backing up what your computer, what its state is, all the information, everything that's on it. And then that way if something catastrophic were to happen, as the name would suggest time machine, you basically can refresh your computer back to a certain time. And, and it gives you a number of different options. Like it'll say, you know, you can back up to what it was like an hour from now or a day from now or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago or and so on and so forth down the line. So you can choose different re refresh options as well. So that way if something happens, you know, you have that as kind of a backup. So that's a really strong uh, tool that um, Apple has with the Mac. So if you run into any problems, it's uh, almost kind of like an insurance policy, I think. This stuff also, that's awesome. That stuff also applies to video games as well. And I'll yeah. give you some scenarios. Like, so we obviously know that with PlayStation, for example, with the plus service. So when you sign in, when you, when yeah. you sign up for your PlayStation online service, you get cloud storage, right? Yep. So you can keep your game saves backed up to the cloud. Yep. And usually it's automatically every time you play a game and it auto saves, it auto backs up to the cloud. That's fantastic because machines can fail yep. at any time. We saw that during the Xbox 360 era. <laughs> so definitely something I recommend, but not only just with game saves, Joe, games themselves. Mm. I, I, I'm sure the Xbox has this functionality as well, but I know that the PS4, you can finally hook up an external hard drive yeah. and copy game data over to it. My brother's does this. I haven't done it yet, and I'm going to because I have one of those priceless PS4s that happens to have a copy of Ooh, PT on it. You lucky bastard, you. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you can't re-download that anymore yeah. so it's yeah. there and once that ps4 fails i'll never be able to play pt again and that will happen one day so my and if if anybody listening to this knows it's any better here. you can post it in the comments or, or write to us i'm gonna try this i'm gonna get a hard drive and see <laughs> if i can run pt off a hard drive and i can Ooh, that's that's a, that's great because we've talked about this a lot of times digital games Mm -hmm. especially uh, owners of the Nintendo Wii will know this very well, yeah. that a lot of those WiiWare games are no longer available, like the Contra remake, the yeah. Castlevania remake. So to be able to actually download these games onto storage and back them up increasingly is becoming yeah. a very important thing in this digital era where game people can lose the rights to games and they're taken off the marketplace. We saw this with DuckTales Remastered. So now if you never bought DuckTales Remastered up until now, you're out of luck. And the only way for you to play it is yeah. to go buy one of those really expensive physical copies the wii u version is going for about 90 bucks now yep so yeah the very importance of backing up especially with games in this digital approaching digital future yep important um joe you also mentioned a couple interesting things here while we were talking about photos mm -hmm. so yes with cloud storage especially with apple you guys have to pay right for you get you get a few gigs to start with i think and yep. then you have to pay for extra storage yeah well how it uh, works is yeah 
for the I know the, with Google Drive, you yeah, yeah, definitely have to. For the for for Google Photos, like I said, uh, for the Apple one, I mean, I may be close to running out. I don't know. I don't pay for extra iCloud storage. I just have the base of what they give you. Uh, for Google Photos, I mean, it's unlimited. Uh, just the regular resolution, uh, basically whatever photos you put on, whether it's screenshots or your personal photos, I believe it's unlimited storage when it comes to just regular resolution photos. So that that's my main way of quote unquote backing up my photos. But with certain services, there is a cap. Unless you pay, and maybe yeah. you don't want to pay, so these pic- these photos with these increasing megapixel counts get bigger and bigger. And yeah. especially if you're somebody like me who doesn't want to sacrifice quality, yeah. you want to upload the raw data. Mm-hmm. You you found a couple of interesting apps to kind of help negate and moderate some of that. Yeah, well, this isn't so much backing up. This is now one thing I, I have not backing up, but kind of you know mitigating what you have yeah. to back up. Because what, what I found very interesting, and uh, this may or may not be a, um, because it is a Google app on a Apple platform, maybe this is a, a, a glitch by design. I really don't know. But I, I find I, I get a lot of duplicates of, of photos and screenshots that I take. And, and I don't know why it's happening. It could be could be because uh, the Apple photo is running alongside it. Maybe it's getting confused and it's clashing. And that's creating duplicates. But there are some... Uh, there's an app on the iOS platform that uh, can kind of help solve this problem. It's called Gemini. And uh, I did try this out. Now, it is a, a paid app. So uh, people need to be aware of that right up front. Now, there's a, a free three-day trial for it. Now, there are uh, three payment options for it. You can pay $3.99 per month, or you can uh, pay yearly, which then only costs you $1.28 per month. Or you can just for uh, make a one-time purchase for $47.99 and then you'll always have this ability and basically you go in and you can select different ways to sort so you can have it uh, basically eliminate any duplicates and I mean like exact duplicates or you can have it so that it'll eliminate photos that are very very similar and um, or you can there's a bunch of different options of sorting of how to how it to have it sort and then it'll, it'll put everything into a recently removed and then you can manually sort uh, through it that way or you could just go through and, and kind of sort manually but then that kind of eliminates the purpose of having another app because you can just do that in your regular app anyways but it gives you a lot of flexible options and how to trim down uh, how many duplicates and everything like that and, and it could potentially open up a lot of free space on your device too so it uh, not only keeps that kind of organized but it has the other effect of freeing up some space in your device which is always a good thing yeah, the thing I thought was interesting is that the algorithm decides which of the duplicates. You know, me, I actually intentionally take yeah. safety photos. I take multiple, so I have yeah. in case somebody was blinking mm-hmm. or maybe the lighting was off. I always have an extra. The, it'll use an algorithm to kind of go through them and decide, okay, which yeah. is the best one. But it also looks for quote unquote boring photos. Right now, don't be alarmed because it still gives you a fail safe to be able to yeah. say, are you sure you want to get rid of this? This is what yeah. we've determined to be excessive, but maybe you disagree. Yeah. So at least it gives you that fail safe. And then for Android users like myself, yep. there's you found an, uh, an app called Gallery Doctor APK. Yep. Yep. Basically does the same thing. The only thing it doesn't do is it doesn't analyze specific folders, but it yep. does have the duplicate finder. And I, you know, I, I'd say it does half the work for you, but it's it's yep. very subjective at the end of the day. And uh, Gemini, I did uh, look into uh, them as well, and um, it is very much uh, done with privacy in mind because you can imagine when this thing is sorting through that there could be some privacy concerns. None of your information is is sent uh, away at all. It's all done on device, and. Um, when you, there are a couple options now. I, I forget how it works on the Android platform, but whenever permissions are asked uh, on the iOS platform, they now they ask if um, for permission to have access to your photos. You can choose never uh, or always or only when you're using the app. 
So it gives you a different few different levels of green to that. And every time you open the app up now, it asks you every time you go to use it. It's not, it's not just a one-time asking for permission. This is something that Steve was always big on when it came to these notifications and asking for permissions. Uh, Steve always had the thing is whenever you're asking to to do this kind of stuff, ask them every time. And they they took this away a little bit before they used to double check with you. Like, Are you sure that you want to give us permission to use this aspect, whether it be your camera or your microphone or anything? like that right so there's that added protection there so that, that's something that i looked into and it's a very secure option which i respect them for doing so beauty yeah so yeah uh i'm i'm sure that there's some people there were some clogged up devices with a lot of uh photos and stuff on there so these are a couple of really good options if uh if you're running into that issue so before we do our final bite segment, which is going to be pretty interesting here let's do our tech tip of the week here and uh this is also very interesting we're talking about collecting and i know that uh we both do this to a certain extent uh, you're uh, i mean uh, just I'm, I'm talking to you on skype or i can see your collection behind you and uh you know behind myself here i have uh, quite a bit as well let's talk a little bit about collecting yeah i just thought we just gotta do a like a loose forum on yeah. topics that are important there, there's you know it's be- especially video game collecting it's really uh-huh. made a huge uh, resurgence in the last yeah. few years the retro yeah. market and now with the whole limited run phenomenon and the whole idea of game preservation, like we just yep. talked about in the previous segment with, with games going offline, people wanting to have physical copies, not only for nostalgia, for preservation purposes, but there is a monetary factor to this. So there's, there's a lot of things uh, we can cover. Uh, for example, uh, let's talk about maintenance and storage, right? Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you, you, what do you, what's your big uh, for, uh, niche for collecting there, Joe? What do, what do you like to collect? My the, the main one that I like to collect, and this is going to be something uh, like yourself. I think these things are going to go up in value. I, I like to have physical copies of these things. I'm talking about um, seasons of TV shows. So my favorites, like I have, you know, the entire series of Seinfeld, uh, X Files, uh, Twenty Four. Um, and that kind of stuff where uh, these kind of things are going to become exceedingly rare as uh, physical media kind of slowly kind of goes away. I have a lot of that kind of stuff. I have a lot of other stuff. You know, I have a Rock'em Sock'em Robots uh, set here. I like a lot of that kind of collectible stuff. I have some Funko stuff, some wrestling figurines. Uh, I even have a little Snoopy over there. I have the Oregon Trail thing. Uh, That's the kind of stuff I I like to collect. I like to have physical stuff because, you know, as we mentioned, some of the stuff is starting to kind of, be tougher to find and these things are going to increase in value so it's not so much just the i even like to keep boxes of the stuff that my stuff comes in like i have all boxes that my phones have come in my the box i got my xbox in and stuff like that i like to 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 keep that kind of stuff and uh it's just the collector me i like to to have this stuff i like to occasionally look at it so well we know in terms of the value and let's say if you want to resell this stuff it's it's all about the preservation quality the maintenance and storage that you've done so maybe do you have any tips for for keeping your stuff in good shape and and free of wear and tear and degradation just uh just clean just just keep uh don't just let it sit there and don't do anything Dust with it. it you know especially when you start getting to some rare stuff i you know exactly really how rare this is but even just one thing i have here i have an old sega genesis uh, wwf royal rumble game you know and, and just keep the stuff in good shape don't just let it sit on the shelf and, and not do anything with it you know even when you take it off to look at it just you know break out the microfiber and whip the dust off of it why do people get rid of cases? Uh, this will always boggle my mind. Why, yeah. why you find loose discs out there, loose carts, especially with the Genesis game you yeah. just showed me. It's a hard plastic case. Yeah. People got to realize yeah. that, especially disc-based media, they do oxidize 
over time, right? There will yeah. come a day when these discs yeah. that we pop into our Xboxes, Playstations, and whatnot are not going to read anymore, right? Another really good example of that, VHS tapes. There's a reason why that they come in cases and boxes and whatnot, because if they're just left exposed, eventually the um, the ribbon, I think it almost kind of demagnetizes or something happens to it, and you can't even watch them after a while if they're just kind of left out in the open, so... Absolutely. And uh, the other thing, try try to avoid putting like smoking in the room that you keep your yeah. collectibles in because yeah. that especially that, can, oh. you know, have a disastrous effect. Yeah. Um, let's talk. Let's look at some of these other topics here. Yeah. Tips for saving money. OK, this is a good Ooh. one. I, I mentioned this About last timing. episode. So from a game collecting perspective, if you're really looking to get a lot of games at a good price, Number one, wait for the end of a generation. Timing. It's all about timing. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. you know, a lot of us are impatient. We always have yeah. to have the game day one. And, and right now, to buy your average game here in Canada, we're talking $79.99. Plus tax. Plus HST, which comes up to <laughs> $90 bucks to own that bad boy on day one. Whereas if you see recent Black Friday and Boxing Day sales, NHL and FIFA, we're going for... Thirty nine ninety nine, less than a year than they, uh, you know, about less than a year after they came out. Not even like a few months after. So if you wait, games go on sales. But especially if you can just wait even a few years because you've yeah. got a whole backlog of games. The end of the PS3, like PS3 collecting right now, collecting for Wii, we're talking like two, three, five dollar games. Like yeah. I can, I've got a huge collection behind me. People are yeah. like, oh, did you pay a, thousands of dollars? I'm like, nah, not quite. No, nah, it's all about bargain bins. And two for one sales, and like I said, just waiting until those games go down in price at the end of the generation when not a lot of people want them, yep. and you just unload. Yep, timing is a big thing. Uh, you know, especially the main thing that, uh, that, I, that I've been collecting TV seasons, and it's all about um, those are expensive. Yeah, and not always just uh, you know just buying the first one that you kind of see. You know, compare prices, shop around, and like you said, don't just buy the first thing that you see because you may. And uh, shopping at the right time of year, too, you can get some discounts. Uh, buying used can be a little, little kind of sketchy. Uh, if it's really, really rare, you know, you can. Like, I, I have one that uh, I'll show you uh, here. This is a, a movie. This one is very, very rare. You can't. It's on any kind of streaming service. And I'm talking, this is the original Dawn of the Dead on uh, on DVD. This is very rare. If I wanted to sell this right now, I could probably get about 300 bucks for this. It's, it's that rare. It's really hard to find. So this kind of stuff... And, and uh, it's one of those things where when you see the right thing, you know how much I paid for this? This is only about a month ago. I paid five bucks for this. That's the best. Isn't that the best? This is worth, like I said, between three and $400 right now. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm going to hold on to. That's the thing, right? Like the value, you got it. Collectors should be careful about collecting for value because that's where you can get into a lot of trouble. Yep. I've seen people going on this, this dark road where they're paying exorbitant prices for games. Yeah. And the value, whether of a game or it's a movie or collectible or anything, is only relevant to what people are going to pay for it and relevant to the time period yep. you live in. There's going to come a point where all these NES games, because we went through this huge revolution yep. where NES games just shot up in value. You've got yep. little Samson going for yep. hundreds of dollars, stadium events yep. going for like, what, close to 20000 now. At some point, who's going to buy there's that? There's going to be a generation that doesn't care about this stuff, <laughs> yeah. that didn't grow up with Nintendo, doesn't yeah. have that nostalgia. You saw this happen to Atari collecting, where initially yeah. Atari collecting was very high, and yeah. now, boom, it's just plummeted because it's really anybody yeah. over the age of like 40 who, yeah. who has any, any relevance to that. All these young Zoomers have no nostalgia yeah. to Atari, and they don't care. To give you a little perspective on that, if you've ever watched the show Pawn Stars, you see this kind of scenario come up all the time where somebody will bring in something that is arguably very, very valuable uh, into their store here. And 
and, and even the guy, I, I, I say forget their name, but it's beside the point here. The, he goes, he goes like, I know this is very valuable and it likely is. And I could probably sell it for, you know, an exorbitant amount of money, but the market for this thing might be like 10 people. So, I, I mean, how long is this thing going to sit here before I can make money off of it too? Right. So if they're a business at the end of the day. They still got to make money. Bingo. So I find a uh, rule of thumb. Typically, yeah. if it's worth X amount, they're going to give you about half of what it's worth. If you're lucky, because that, they're going to sell yeah. it for double what it's yeah. worth. That, that's that's an, usually the math. <laughs> that's another tip alongside with some of the stuff, pawn shops and bringing your stuff in to use places. It's um, you lose a lot when it comes to that. Oh my God. I, I don't go to pawn shops. I, I hate them. I, I let's, I just hate them because typically yeah. You're going to get this gristle guy who, who's <laughs> dealt with a lot of scammers yeah. and, and just has that chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And, and, you know, can't blame them because look at the kind of people you deal with at pawn shops. Yeah. I've been there. But I'd say almost every single time, Joe, it's a guy in his 40s who maybe played some Atari back in the day, yeah. kind of has a passing knowledge of video games. They always think they're selling – they're sitting on gold, Joe. They yeah. piss me off so much. <laughs> They'll try to sell a copy of yeah. Super Mario Brothers on the NES for like $30 when it's literally worth 5 bucks because it's one for of the sure. most common carts you can see. For sure. But they have no idea. They think they're selling gold, and they sit on this stuff for years like they're running a museum, and they think, oh, wow, somebody's going to buy this. No, man. Video game – Again, coming from a video game perspective, video game collectors or any collectors are always looking for the lowest possible thing. So yep. if you're going to get into this to make money, just understand you either better be sitting on this for a few years and hope it goes up in equity yep. or you're going to take a loss. So at the end of the day, it's it's more like Joe's situation where if you're fortunate to just find something really cheap that's worth a lot of money, that's great. But great, yeah. If you're going into this to make yeah. money, you're probably yeah. gonna be disappointed. Well, this one in particular that I showed you about, I, I found it afterwards because when I when I went into the place and I saw it sitting on the show for five bucks, it was like boom! I said, you know, that's mine. This is like a cult classic. I'm a fan of horror movies. And I came back home and then I just went out curiously looked on Amazon and saw the price for something that's in fairly good condition. It was like, holy crap! So yeah, you get the, those kind of moments, and those are pretty cool. I don't ever really plan on selling that. That's just something I'm just gonna keep because I not only is it gonna just be part of my collection, I watch it too. So uh, I'm not the kind that just lets stuff sit there and not use it either. So I like to, to kind of use my my collection as well. So that's it. You have to have a purpose because there's a lot of people getting into collecting now who they either just want to get the really expensive games, or there's the people yeah. that want to get complete sets of everything. Yeah. That just that just boggles my mind. Yeah. Like good luck trying to do a collect. A complete set of PS4. That's yeah. that's just like you're going to be spending so much money. And for what? At the end of the day, do you have any attachment to these games, yeah. or is it just to show how big your dick is? <laughs> that's me. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't buy games because they're valuable. I buy them because I like them. Right. And that's how yeah. I keep my collection unique, and, and it makes sense to me. Right. That's right. that's that's how I do. It. I'm not saying that that's how you have to. Do it. I'm not speaking out against anybody who likes to buy mm. clean plate sets, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, and I also. I, I have a friend who who does a lot of reselling. He'll buy cheap lots off of Kijiji and then go sell them back to other people. Yeah. And he's got people who come to him that blow their whole paycheck just because they can have that in-demand games they saw off on YouTube. And they're back there two weeks later selling that because they need money for the rent. So yeah. Yeah. It, it can become a sickness too. Yeah. You, you need to be into it for the right reasons. Yeah. Now, before we get to a, a couple more, uh, I want to touch on a couple more uh, quick topics before we go to our final bite segment. But since we're talking about collections here, Mike, uh, before we end this topic, I, I, I can't forget to mention this kind of person. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us, which is very unfortunate. But mm -hmm. I'm talking about our, our friend Sid Bolton. And yes, um, he had one, if 
if not probably the most impressive collection of anything I've ever seen before. And it was a video game uh, collection and a lot of electronics and whatnot. You remember, uh, Sid, I remember Sid, I mean, uh, I live, you know, a couple uh, blocks away from where, where this place used to be. And, the Personal uh, Computing Museum in Brantford. Yes, absolutely. I'm not sure if it's still there, um, but... The few times that I was lucky enough to go into this place, I mean, you just walk in and the door opens and it's just, it was, it's, uh, words can't describe. I mean, just it's, if you're somebody that was into gaming or electronics at all, just, it was like walking to heaven. That's the best yeah, way I can describe else, it. Yeah. Just to see like yeah. a complete PS2 yeah. collection with all the different variants yeah. and imports yeah. and, and, and I want, yeah, yeah sorry. And then, and, and with Sid too, uh, one thing I miss about him, and not only did he have a really impressive collection, but I mean, he knew everything about his collection too. He wasn't one of these guys that just collected stuff for just for the sake of collecting. He knew about everything. You could basically ask him about anything to do with it was there or anything went on, and he knew. <laughs> That's kind of the way Man. I collect, Joe. I have a, I almost have a story for yeah. every piece in my collection. Yeah, I know where I was when I got it. Yeah. What what kind of emotions it brings up? Yeah. What nostalgia rings true? Yeah. Whereas, it, like I said, a lot of these like these kind of. Uh, fly-by-night collectors who just kind of get into it because it's trendy. They're just doing it because they read something about it. They don't really have any connection to it. And I find mm-hmm. that those are the people who, who end up blowing their life savings for nothing. And like I said, you know, this is a risky thing. This is why I don't spend a lot of money on this stuff because yeah. I don't know if this stuff's even going to be worth anything someday. I'm just kind of betting at this mm-hmm. point that maybe it is, but that's not why I collect. I collect because I want to have these things. But let's say one day I do want to sell them. It's all going to depend on how relevant this stuff is and who actually wants to buy this. Yep, for sure. So you gotta you yeah. gotta watch your pocketbook. Um, yeah. So we talked about timing, yep. state of the market. Yeah. And I, like I said, um, the whole the whole um, the whole introduction of limited run games, strictly limited, special reserve, has really added a, a, an interesting parameter to collecting <clears throat> in the sense of now we've got all these indie Man. games getting onto physical media. And because they're being distributed often with like 3,000 run, run, like 3,000 copy runs or less, it's, it's totally throwing the market into disarray where it's like all these games are limited, but now it's going to come down to how sought after, how sought after are these titles? Like, yeah, there's some games that are super limited, but nobody cares about the game. Yeah. Whereas another one, yeah, it's like, like Curse of the Moon. Like, I bought Bloodstained Curse of the Moon and, it, and I, for like 90 bucks it's going for i think 300 now because it's a castlevania spinoff and all that stuff so yep. yeah the whole idea of having a complete collection is, is steadily steadily going out the door unless sure. you want to just <laughs> more remortgage your house and then that's that's just where you you need some help i think really it's um, just video games at the end of the day <laughs> absolutely so just a couple more things before we do our final buzz i mean that this next thing uh i just kind of thought on the fly we actually i meant to do it on our last episode but we'll do it now since we're at the end of the year i'll bring this up and uh we'll uh we'll talk about this what was your favorite game of the year mike favorite game of the year favorite game of the year I'm trying to remember. Did Bloodstain Ritual of the Night come out this year? Uh, had, yeah, it I did. think it did. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be, that'd I would be, be your I'd pick? say Bloodstain Ritual of the Night, easily my number one. Okay. With a close number two being Luigi's Mansion Three on the Switch, which nice. I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Great game. For me, for my game of the year, I'm gonna hold the box up too. Uh, and this, uh, my favorite uh, game of the year is Metro Exodus. Ooh, good this one. is a very good one uh, by 4A Games. Um, if you've played any of the Metro games, uh, then you'll know that that's pretty good. Uh, if you haven't, this is the kind of game that you can go right into. They, they tell you some of the backstory as well. And I mean, just, uh, atmospheric first person shooter done by a relatively small team over there in, uh, in that part of, over, over in Europe. I mean, just, it's, uh, 
a game that kind of flies below the radar, but I mean, if you're into first-person shooters with a good story, there's no multiplayer thing. It's just strictly first-person uh, stuff. If you like that kind of stuff, this is one to go with. This is yeah, based off the Russian novels. It's like a yeah. post-apocalyptic thing. Great um, so story. So you were saying Great that atmosphere. if you haven't pay- played the original two, you can kind of jump into this, get caught up on the story. Correct. Yeah. Okay, yep. but like I said, if if you want to play the original two, which are yeah. also fantastic, They're... you can get that as a great double pack on Xbox One and PS4, PC. Yeah. So those are worth yeah. revisiting because they were remastered. Yeah, and too. I'm, and I'm not sure about the the PlayStation platform, but uh, I know at least on the Xbox One, you get the uh, you get a code for uh, Metro 2033 remastered on there as well so you know, kind of a double whammy on that so and then uh just very kind of briefly i think that uh reason why i'm picking this is that i think that we're both going to probably agree on this but since we're at the end of the decade favorite game of the decade i'll, I'll go first and you're likely to agree with me grand theft auto 5 game of the decade yeah um that's just my throw pick. something different like I, I will agree like in terms of impact yeah grand theft auto 5 but I'll That's be my honest, my, like if I had to just go off pure gut instinct and not think too much about this, the first thing that came to my head is maybe a little surprise to you and Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, wow. I can't talk enough about that game. Yeah. Everybody talked about Mario, Breath of the man. Wild being like this monumental game. And it yep. is like, I'll, I'll give Breath of the Wild credit. I, I stopped <laughs> after about 30 hours in. I kind of lost interest, to be honest. Yep. <gasps> oh, God, that's, that's oh. blasphemy. But <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. I don't remember the last time a game just made my jaw drop. Really? Yeah. Every like 20 minutes, just like innovate. Like from the first 10 minutes in, when you grab a hold of that T Rex <laughs> and you start charging through that first level. And then, man, like not to spoil anything, but there's a uh, level called New Donk City where you nice. go, it's like Grand Theft Auto Mario. Mm-hmm. You go into an actual real world city. <laughs> and when you beat this thing, and this is only halfway through the game, there's more surprises after this, including one of the most, the greatest retro surprises ever in an ending video game in history. I can't give it away. You got to play it. <laughs> but at the end of this new Donk City level, while they're celebrating and doing this special song, you actually turn into 8-bit retro Mario. You <laughs> run up a skyscraper and you play Donkey Kong up the skyscraper yeah. while fireworks are going off. It's just something else. Like Super Mario Odyssey is hands down the best Mario game ever created and, and possibly yes. like still like one of the just biggest smile on my face of the decade. Uh, one other quick uh, topic before we get to our final bite segment here. We're going to talk a little bit about Amazon here. And uh, with this past holiday season, they are basically reporting that they've had the best holiday season ever uh, for their company. And to give you uh, some scope here on uh, this company, this company had now uh, up until, I mean, since <laughs> I come up with a, I, I added this to our run here, maybe the value has increased again. But as of me typing this and putting it in here, Amazon had a net worth of, Get ready for this. $926.5 billion. Yeah, their stock jumped like 4% last Thursday. It's uh, crazy. pretty crazy how crazy. they're just completely monopolizing everything right now. They're, they're oh. talking about how, what was it? It's like more than 60% of customers <clears throat> actually shipped items to an Amazon pickup point rather than their yep. homes or businesses. And that's the other thing that was kind of buried in this article is that uh, just recently before this announcement, Amazon announced that they're not going to let its sellers use FedEx anymore. They're only going to use their own internal shipping services. So again, just more monopolization because look at this. Like everybody's just signing up for Amazon Prime right now. That's on the uptick. Hmm. You see a lot of people going to Amazon over traditional mom and pop retailers. As we talked about in that automated grocery store segment a couple episodes back, they're going to – 
start coming up with smart pricing so that like supermarkets can start competing with Whole Foods and Amazon, which I think is ultimately going to be a detriment to wow. retailers. And it's hmm. it's a crazy situation here, especially when Amazon pays no sales tax. That, that makes me wonder too. With the on the, top of that, yeah, with the with the FedEx thing. Uh, I wonder how that's going to work in, with Canada because I know uh, pretty much if you buy something from uh, Amazon here in Canada that uh, I think it's uh, yeah it's FedEx that uh, usually does the delivery or I think sometimes they'll send their own person. But I mean, if if they get rid of that, is it going to come through Canada Post now? Because I mean, Canada Post is to be perfectly honest, and, 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 and as a Canadian. Canada Post sucks when it comes to shipping packages. They're not good at it. Amazon's they're, no better. They're, they're they good at, have, yeah. at least Canada Post leaves a notice on your door. Yeah to go pick up the post office or now they have a new parcel locker in my lobby that they just added thankfully yeah. amazon just leaves that shit yeah. right at your door they don't well, care canada post does it too i know this may be different in different cities and to go off in a bit of a tangent dennis miller style here uh whoever he, at least in the town that i live in branford i don't know it's canada post whether it's fedex i mean they're all really terrible at this they don't even knock on the door like i've been here when packages get delivered they don't even knock on the door they just leave it there like you know at least make an attempt like at least reach for the door to not, like do something but i mean just they, they they just they they toss and they go and yet they strike every year right so again going back to our early discussion man, about man, man. merit do your freaking wage. job do your job <laughs> and then you might not get replaced right exactly all right mike uh, yeah we're gonna take a brief break here and uh, we're gonna come back with our final bite segment and we're gonna talk about since again this is the last episode of 2019 already yes we're going to talk a little bit about how we go about doing a show every week. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. This week's episode is brought to you by Microplay in Bradford, Ontario, Canada. Located at 265 King George Road. Visit Chris and the gang for all of your video game needs. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. So for our last segment here, we're going to talk a little bit about how we go about doing the show. And we've been, I think, what are we, eight or nine? Yeah, we're, this is episode nine already on, on here. Our, our first show of the new year is going to be our 10th episode here. But I thought we'd kind of peel the curtain back a little bit and kind of let you guys know how we go about doing the show every week. And it all starts with looking for topics. We have a Google Drive, Google Document document always up and whether I know for myself when I'm at work whatever I'm always kind of looking for stuff when I come across something that uh, that I like we add it to the list and then we go through the weekend we condense it down to the really good stuff and that's what we go with yeah exactly so say I do the same thing I if I, I'll be scrolling through other uh, I love the Drudge Report. Yes. I'll just throw that one out there. Drudge. A lot of people still don't know about the Drudge Report. It's it's a great news aggregator, probably the number two traffic website in the world. Mm-hmm. You can actually see the stats for yourself on their page, D-R-U-D-G-E Report. Yep. A lot of politics stuff, but the, he, he's really great, Matt Drudge, at like aggregating some of the hot button issues in mm-hmm. tech, specifically in regards to AI surveillance. That's a great place to go for that stuff. Of course, I have I like all the pages of the mainstream publications like The Verge, Game Informer. I have that going through my my Facebook feed. So yeah. I see something good, I email myself, check it out if it's good. Yeah. I'll throw it onto the drive, and then we'll, so basically we have like a hot article section where we kind of go through those. That's all the yep. mainstream news. If there's something we don't use right now, there's also an archived folder with different subjects we can pop plop those into if we ever want to come back to them later. Yeah. And on top of that, we archive. So the, this run right now that we have for episode yep. nine with all the article links, 
we keep everything. Yep. So if we ever need, like if we ever get called out on something, that's especially <laughs> why I did it. Because yep. if we ever get called out on something, it's like, oh, you know, prove it. Well, here it is, right? Yep. Here's the article that we talked about a year ago. Absolutely. And just for our own reference too, uh, as we kind of go through episodes, you know, other uh, topics uh, we'll revisit and they come up again. So it's nice to have that re- there for reference material as well. And then it comes to, usually we do this on a Sunday evening. We sit down and record. Now, if you're wondering what we use to kind of do this, we both have very good microphones on our end. We use Skype. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of podcasters uh, kind of overthink this process of how they go about recording and communicating with their, their co-hosts and whatever you have to do remotely. Um, we, just, we just use Skype. There's other programs that you can use, and they're a lot more complex, and there's a lot more to them, and they record it inside all of that. I find people overthink this process a little too much. We just use Skype, and then on my end, I have a, a Mac running a program called GarageBand. I have uh, a mixer hooked up to there, um, so that basic, basically it's catching my input from my microphone, and then through the other end, uh, through a, a um, audio interface connected to my computer that connects to my uh, mixer, collects everything coming from mic's end, and then I record into GarageBand that has all the bits already kind of put in there, records a track in there, and then I adjust things on the go, and then... After we're done, I edit it together, and that's an episode. Now, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, so, in terms of you feeding Skype into this right now and yes. recording the audio, let's say we did want to do video and you mm-hmm. wanted to capture my video feed. Yep. Do you have to have a third party intermediary app to capture that video, or does that plug right into your, your Apple software? I believe that there's an option to do that through Skype. That's something I haven't investigated, but I think you can record uh, your call through Skype. I, I believe, though, that's something that you have to pay for. But uh, I've always been one. Now, this is coming from what I've done previously. Um, Carl and myself, uh, my co host from Turnbuckle Talk, we used to be, we used to do some online radio stuff. We recorded a lot of video content. And uh, we were really kind of pushed that and pushed that and pushed that. But I, I found that not a lot of people wanted to kind of see video. A lot of stuff when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to talk, conversation stuff, people want to just hear audio. They want to just download it to their device and listen to it on their commute to work or while they're walking uh, down the road with their, with their dog, whatever, whether they're working at the gym. People want to just listen to audio. I find that there's not a tremendous amount of video, um, people that want video when it comes to this kind of content. So I've always kind of just kept it to audio. It simplifies things because producing video content is getting into a whole other realm we know this because we used to do YouTube uh, with the Joystick Justice League and uh, creating and editing video content is very time consuming. It can be very rewarding at the same time, but I mean, it would it adds a lot of time onto post-production and whatnot as well. So Yeah, you don't need to see my ugly mug. This is enough. <laughs> but besides that, uh, like I said, uh, audio is what uh, we kind of stick to. It uh, it just It's a tremendous time. So because, I mean, outside of this, I mean, we do have a lot uh, on the go as well, so... But it's, it's, the other thing too is communica- steady communication, right? Yes, that's and a mutual good key. respect. So yep. uh, I, I don't. I obviously you created the show. You brought me on. So if I find something that's interested, it's always about checking with you first. You know, making sure that we jive on this kind of stuff. Yep. You know, and and also just not overwhelming ourselves with research. You know, we always come up with like lots of stuff, but now we have this <laughs> yeah. new system where we like, kind of like Drudge Report does. Like yeah. I have the really hot articles highlighted red. Everything else in black kind of keeps it smooth that way, and and then we can have stuff to jump off to next time. I want to ask you too, yeah. um, in terms of the final segment where we pick music, how mm-hmm. do you pick your music when you, it's your turn to pick a song for the end of the show? Basically, once we're done recording an episode, when it's I know it's gonna be my turn for the following week. I mean, I already listen to a lot of music, and basically, I just I listen to music throughout the week. When I find that one that I really kind of kind of get into and I end up repeating a lot, that's usually the one I end up picking. 
Right, do you find? Do you try to find something that's relevant, or is it just whatever you're feeling at that point in time? Pretty much whatever I'm feeling at that time, and uh, I, I try to have a pretty good. When it comes to music, uh, and I can't speak for everybody out there, I'm not really a snob when it comes to music, with the exception of maybe country music and some classical stuff. I'm not really into, or some of this really, really kiddie kind of pop stuff. I can't really listen to like Justin Bieber and all that kind of stuff. I, I really don't care. But for the most part, uh, if it's if it's a well written song and it sounds good, I'll probably dig it. But uh, yeah, the, it's pretty much what I do. I listen to music throughout all the week anyways. And when I find something I really kind of dig, it's, it usually ends up on this program, and it will in the future as well. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I have a yeah. jukebox I listen to on my yeah. car, just stuff I keep adding to. And some once in a while, a track will be like, okay, yeah. you know, that sounds kind of relevant to things we've been yeah. talking about. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's just not relevant. It's just like a... A supercharged yeah. track. For me personally, I love when like podcasts use like awesome bumper music to get you pumped for what's coming up ahead. So yeah. that's why you'll often hear me using punk or yeah. or metal or something like that. Yeah. Just something kind of turbocharged to, yeah. to get you in the mood. But then other times I might just be something more relevant. Like maybe if we're talking about tech, I might throw on a muse track or yeah. something like that. So it really yeah. it really depends. But it's like you said, Joe, it's more of a feeling. Yeah. It's it's like when I hear that song, it's like bang there it is like, yeah. it's, it's 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 there's no real methodology methodology to it it's just more of a feeling and for for myself you'll probably hear i have a real big soft spot for for 80s music especially the 80s new wave stuff like i'm talking like uh phil collins and you know if you were to watch like an episode of miami vice that type of music so you'll likely probably hear a lot of that kind of stuff kind of come in um you know like I said, one of my favorite games of all time was Vice City that took place in the 80s. And, uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s, so uh, that kind of stuff really appeals to me. So it's uh, it's gone past kind of like a guilty pleasure at this point. I just I, I, I dig a lot of 80s music. Oh, there's a, it's a never-ending wealth there, man. Depeche yeah. Mode, Tears Absolutely. for Fears, like yeah. you, the list goes on and on and on. Some good stuff there. All right, man. Well, that is it for, for this week here. And that's our very last episode of 2019. And the decade. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to be back next week, and uh, we'll see what we're going to talk about. Like I said, coming up very soon, uh, near the end of the month, we got CES, so there's going to be probably a lot of interesting information coming up. I'm really looking forward to see uh, maybe some AK stuff. I think Apple might actually have a small presence at CES uh, this coming uh, year. That's very rare. They very rarely show up there. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe they uh, maybe show something there too. So who knows? And just kind of maybe uh, well, at some point in the future, so... Some some good news on the tech censorship front that uh, was uncovered by Ezra Levant of Rebel Media within the newly, uh, soon to be ratified USMCA, the formerly known as NAFTA. Mm-hmm. A little thing that was stealth dropped into Article 19 to Ooh. protect us from internet censorship. So it kind of looks like Trump was listening after all okay. and didn't have to go all dictatorial about it. And I think once you start reading the text and we'll maybe get into this future episode, I think this was the best way of handling it and nice. uh, hopefully some good times ahead. Cool. I'm so looking forward to that one. But before we do go, we are getting enough like we usually do now with some music. And this week, Mike has the pick. So tell us what you got in store for us this week. Love my old school metal. Yeah, so we're going to go with Danzig off of mm. his debut LP out of 1988 entitled just Danzig. This was, of course, Glenn Danzig, the former lead singer of the Misfits, then joined Sam Hain after he left the Misfits. Sam Hain would become Danzig, which was actually, I didn't know this until I was researching this, that was actually the idea of Rick Rubin, Ooh. who produced the first album and told him to change his name, the band, name of the band from Sam Hain to Danzig. And, well, this was their most popular album, and of course, includes 
the the iconic track Mother, which is Beavis and Butthead approved, one of the ones that they loved on that show and they didn't make fun of. And it's it's you got to hear it. It's, it's a great track if you've never heard it. It's amazing. But this is going to be the second track off the album called Not of This World, an old, just great classic metal track. You know what? The, the thing I, I can always say about this track is just it's got sweat and balls to it that you just don't hear in all this modern overproduced music. It's just, it's not perfect. His voice kind of falters at times. And that's what I love about it. It's just, just pure passion. So enjoy. Enjoy and happy new year's. It was happy new year guys. All that's for 2020. We'll see you then. 